Welcome to Holy Fools and the Soul of Craftwork. I'm Steve Gross. And I'm Jesse Joyner. If you are new to the podcast, Steve and I are both PhDs in education and people of faith. With a curiosity about craft learning and practice as a means of spiritual formation. In this episode, we consider the craft of blacksmithing, and for it, we welcome blacksmith and youth pastor Bear Reed. Welcome to Holy Fools, Bear. Hey, man. Glad to be here today. Thank you all for having me on. Bear, tell us about yourself and your work as a blacksmith. So um, we, we kind of use the term blacksmith loosely. Um, my, my trade is in the farrier industry, which is the science of hoof care for horses. And uh, we incorporate blacksmithing into that and building and modifying shoes. Um, I've been involved in the trade since 1999. Basically, I tell people that I get to go and swing hammers, burn stuff, and play with horses. So, so farrier would be a better term, the more accurate term to describe your work? Uh, yes, sir. A, a modern-day blacksmith is mostly... Um, it's mostly centered around hoof care for horses. There are guys that do ornamental, ornamental blacksmithing and, and blade smithing and things like that. But, uh, most of us that most guys that even get into those parts of the industry, they finance it by being farriers, uh, taking care of horses feet and, and building shoes and things like that. So. Got it. And so back in 1999, what got you into it or who got you into it? What, what was that on ramp for you? Uh, so I always thought I wanted to be a cowboy. And uh, when I graduated high school, I didn't know that people even still shod horses. And my family moved. Um, we didn't move far. But in moving, I kind of lost all my uh, connections and associations with the guys that I'd worked for. And I, I met some kids at church. And one of the young, one of the girls at church, I think she was a senior, her dad was a horseshoer and, and a cowboy. And he had the Marlboro Man voice and all of it. So uh, I tried to date her for about three days, and then I started working for him for about <laughs> five years, four years. It, it's funny what it's funny what a blonde headed girl will bring you around to. So from about two thousand two, two thousand three, I worked for him full time. Uh, but the the horseshoeing part of it was always the most intriguing part of it to me. Hmm. So you caught that bug. Yeah, it's it's you know in the Western world when it comes to horses and, and rodeo and things like that, they say there's two types of people. Uh, people that land on their backside and give it up and people that land on their head and fall in love with it. Hmm. And uh, I, I landed on my head. I've just always had a, um, almost a, a childlike interest, you know, that magical interest in hot metal and, and getting to be around horses and um, watching people take just a, a piece of uh, a bar of steel and, and turn it into something. So it's, it's been a, it, it became a passion very fast. So that word passion, are this podcast, a lot of what we talk about is vocation and calling. Uh, would you consider this a, a type of calling in your life? It's a, it is very much a service job and you, you have to be available um, whenever things happen. And, you know, the guys I know that are great blacksmiths, great farriers, uh, they wake up thinking about it. They go to bed thinking about it. They call their friends and talk about it. Um, they draw pictures of it. You know, it, it, it really is, it's a life. It's not just a job, um, for those that really do it well. So as a way of helping us, Steve and I, and the listeners get a picture of an example of the work you do here as a farrier, tell us more about that story of what happened this morning. Like what happened 
with the horse? What did it need? And what did you do for the horse? Like walk us through that. Um, it was actually, it's a very young horse. It's a, a yearling. So he's, he's reached his one year old year and, um, they're beginning to try to get this horse where he is handle where you can handle him. Um, I had my first encounter with him last week and, uh, he was, he was very, um, against any type of contact and touching and all that. And, and uh, you know, a, a horse is a, a fight or flight animal. Um, they're either going to outrun you or they're going to beat you up. And, um, you know, we forget a lot of times that these are not pets and they're not, uh, playmates they're they're large dangerous animals um so this particular horse he was having a fight with the guy that was trying to teach him how to do things like lead and loading the trailer and pick his feet up and the horse was kicking at the young man and he kicked the trailer wall and it split the outside of his hoof uh all the way up to his hairline so uh hooves grow out of out of the hairline of the leg and when it split that it jammed that hoof like an ingrown toenail up into the hairline. So what I had to do this morning was go and, and cut a line across that hoof and physically remove that fractured hoof from the hairline, it, that hairline, so he could begin to heal up. So was th- was there a shoe involved in this, or was it just the, the hoof itself? There, there needed to be. I built a bar shoe for it, so I took a piece of steel and shaped it for the foot and, and, and modified a shoe for this, but there just wasn't enough foot to nail it to. Hmm. safely um there's a very small window of where you can can place a nail in the foot uh without it basically causing some very very serious issues your your window of forgivability is pretty small so um we we wanted to put a shoe on it but the condition of the foot and the pain the horse was dealing with it wasn't going to do him any favors beating on the on his foot trying to drive nails into it so uh, for the people that can't see this, because this is audio, not video, Bear, you look like what your name says. So you're a big dude, 275. You're a blacksmith, farrier. It's hard work. It's also dangerous work. You can get kicked, and it's a lot of bending over, right? You're putting that hoof between your legs, and you're bending over. So even a big guy isn't safe from that. So why do you keep doing what you're doing, Bear, and seeking craft mastery as a farrier over the long haul? Um, well, it, it goes back to the calling that, jesse talked about earlier um it's it's a a passion and that's a lot of what keeps me going with it the other part is it's a it's a service um you know i have to be able to do my job well for them to be able to do whatever job they're doing and it it requires you to stay attentive you know you mentioned the the getting hurt size does not matter when it comes to being under a horse um even a guy i'm i'm six three and two seventy five uh, they can they can knock me down and, and whip me just as fast as they could anybody else. You take all of this into consideration when you step into the trade. You know you're going to get beat up, and you just have to be okay with how bad it's going to be. Some days are worse than others. When did you get over the expectation that you could not get hurt and get you got more realistic? To be- when I was 28, I was, uh, I was shooting horses, and I was working for a company delivering milk, of all things. So I was the milkman and the horseshoer and I'd gone to work on a Saturday and, uh, you know, at, at 28 years old, I was 225 pounds and my muscles had muscles. And, you know, I, I I thought that I was Hercules. You can't, you can't hurt me. And, uh, a lady asked me to trim a horse and that horse whipped my tail. Um, I got under its hind leg and she 
he kicked all 225 pounds of me about 15 feet across the yard, broke my ankle, tore my knee up, ripped my shirt, um, just beat me down, you know. And I had a, I, I have four children, and at, at that time, the second one had just been born, and she was about a month old. And I'd been at the milk company about six months, and I was so afraid I was going to get fired for getting hurt. And like it, it became very real at that moment of, you know, this is not a joke. This didn't, you know, it, it can happen to you. And, and, uh, I, I had take a really serious look at what I was doing and the way I was allowing myself to be in bad situations. That was a, that was a career defining moment. And for about two weeks after that, you know, if I picked a foot up and that horse even flinched a little bit or shifted, I was running towards the truck, man. I was trying to, was trying to get away. I thought it, I thought it broke me for a little bit. I thought it broke my spirit and I was going to have to go and do something else. But, um, you know, I've, I've watched guys get hurt and I've seen guys get career ending injuries and it typically stems from us Mm -hmm. trying to push an issue that we shouldn't or letting somebody else convince us we have to do something. And the number one word that I've learned to use that really saves me the most grief is the word no. You know, if a, if a horse is really bad, like the, the one I was talking about earlier, uh, my first initial contact with him, I said, no, I said, you guys are going to have to get your hands on him and get him gentle down. I'm not going to put myself in a position to get hurt, um, for a little bit of money and, you know, let it ruin my weekend, let it break my arm, have me down for six weeks, have me down period. And, you know, until you get to a place where you're mature enough to know that, uh, you're really, you're really kind of walking around as a ticking time bomb, you know, uh, for me, that, that incident with that horse, that, that changed a lot about my approach to the farrier business. You know, they will remind you, Hey, I, I'm, I'm a horse, I'm 1100 pounds. I can, I don't have to do what you want to do just because. So understanding not just their, their physical structure and, and even the limitations of my physical structure, but being able to read the body language and to pick up on what they're trying to communicate, um, it, it leads to more success in what you're doing because you're working together as a team for an outcome instead of one or the other trying to very um, arrogantly dictate the terms of the relationship. Yeah, let's say let's say um, envision there was a farrier class that you could take, classroom setting where you go through anatomy and different things. Um, and there's probably some value in there, but what wouldn't you be able to get without that embodied practice of being able to learn those cues and seeing interacting light and come body on body with that? What could you get? What would you not get from just a classroom lecture? Well, you don't get that hands-on experience. You know, um, I met Jesse this summer at camp and he was juggling and he did some, he did some stuff that made me look away. Uh, you know, throwing some sharp stuff in the air. I was like, dude, come on. Physical experience just goes so far. You know, um, I can sit and be told about it. I could spend the rest of the day telling you guys how to shoe horses and how to how to do these things and even where to where to hit a, a horseshoe at a particular place to make it um move a certain direction. But that doesn't mean that you're gonna get up tomorrow and be able to go and, and do it efficiently and well. So I can know all these things, um, you know, as far as the anatomy and things go, I really struggled in that area for a long time because it didn't make sense to me and I could open the book and look, but it, it still didn't make sense how these things worked. And, um, I was at a, at a clinic 
a couple of years ago and we were dissecting legs and there was a veterinarian there and we would dissect the leg from the, from the knee down and the veterinarian was doing this. And man, I was trying to watch and all of these guys were standing there watching and nobody was asking questions and nobody was reaching and touching and feeling. And the vet said, Hey, there's some more legs in a, a barrel over there. If anybody else wants to, to do one. So I ran over there and grabbed one. And uh, there's a gentleman named Dusty Franklin in the business. Dusty owns Five Star Horseshoeing School in, in Minko, Oklahoma. He is he is a very serious man about education and educating farriers. Obviously, he has a school, so you would think you know he wants to see people do well. But um, the guy will give you any time, anywhere that you ask for it. He'll stop what he's doing. And he said, hey, have you ever done one of these? I said, one time, and I couldn't get anybody that really knew anything to, to help me. And uh, Dusty and I had our own party right there. You had 25 guys watching the vet over here, and me and Dusty were cutting this leg down, and we were talking about it, and we were moving joints and pulling tendons and making things work and laughing and having a big time. And we used all the veterinarian scalpels. He was mad at us. He's like, them things ain't free. And I was like, hey, we played a I paid a, a clinic fee. Be quiet. Give me another one. You know, and, and – so getting in there and putting my hands on these ligaments and tendons and, and the way that everything operates and seeing it, you know, that's that's where the difference comes in. Um, talking about it and studying it's super important, but but doing it's where it's at. You know, it, I heard a joke one time. It was about a young preacher that came into the church for the first time and he came strutting in and he was fiery and he was excited and, you know, very arrogant and boastful. And as it came time for him to preach, he got nervous and nervous and nervous. And when he stood behind the pulpit, he just couldn't take it. He ran out of the room and left. He had the information and he knew what he wanted to do, but he'd never done it. So he, instead of walking in humbly and, and being able to build into his sermon and, and trusting God and letting that work, he, he came in with that pride and it, it never works. You, you have to, you have to take the knowledge. You have to take the head knowledge and turn it into experience. Well, that's a great metaphor of discipleship. And you're, you're probably going to pick up on that too, that life on life, you with an older practitioner who's kind of opening up the practice to you and you're interacting. And that's a, that's a great picture as opposed to just straight lecture. Well, let's talk about that. So bespoke work like you do horseshoeing is often learned and refined shoulder to shoulder. You just talked about that. Do you have a community of practice with other farriers? What does that look like? Um, old cowboy top, uh, he, he grew up in the 60s and 70s. He was a Vietnam vet, and uh, he was in the hippie movement and all the things that that, you know, kind of goes along with that. And back in his day, <laughs> farriers and blacksmiths didn't exchange knowledge. It was a competition, and you wanted to have a one-up on, you know, the guy down the road so that you could get the horses to shoe instead of him. Um, so working for him for a couple of years, um, he, he got me into the basics, but anytime I would question things like, you know, continuing education or, um, you know, wanting to do more, it was always, well, you just take your time and I'll teach you. And, uh, whenever I quit working for him in 2003, I had a, my son was born in 03 and I wasn't making a living wage that I could take care of my son and, and his mother and, and all that. So I quit working for him and I started kind of doing my own thing and, I was doing some cowboy work and some ranch work and I was shooing a few horses and I met a gentleman, a gentleman named Glenn Spradlin. And, um, uh, Glenn was the first guy I ever saw a lot of forge before we shaped horseshoes cold. We'd pull the anvil on the tailgate of the pickup and we'd bang them open or bang them closed. 
and uh, Glenn has been one of those guys. He he's become a, a best friend and a mentor. He's about thirteen years older than me, um, but he is is one of those guys that he took the time to to teach me the how and the why, and and not just the you know I'll do it or just pay attention to what I'm doing. <clears throat> um, our community, while it's not huge, the guys that are in it that care about it and love it. You know, they're like I talked about Dusty Franklin. They will stop what they're doing to to show you something. Now, they will be very selfish of their time. If you're not paying attention or, you know, you take it for granted, they'll be like, hey, dude, don't don't come back around. Don't don't waste my time. There's very much that that brotherhood and sisterhood in that trade that, you know, number one, we, we want to take care of each other. Um, you know, I've got some young guys that work for me right now that I'm trying to, to teach the ropes and man, the, the brotherhood part of it and the working shoulder to shoulder and the fellowship and all of these things, um, without them, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have an industry. It's not something that you can put all in a book. Like you spoke about earlier. Yeah. All that lecture stuff is fine. And you can read books for days and days and days, but if you don't have somebody to physically show you and say, Hey, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Um, you're, you're never going to get to a place where you're, where you're great at it. And then you don't have the opportunity to pass that down. So <clears throat> all of the guys that I know that are very successful and I don't mean financially, but guys that are very, very um, they're very good at their craft and they can do things with metal that just really, I mean, it's, it's almost magic to me watching what they can do. Um, they've got there because other men and other women took the time to stand there with them and show them and encourage them. And, uh, walk and encouraging also criticize them and say, you know, Hey, you're, why are you doing it like that? Or, you know, you're doing this when you need to be doing that. And there's a big part of it too, that you have to be willing to take some criticism, you know, or, or you never grow. I would, I would say the fellowship side of the farrier and blacksmith world um, is, is probably 75% of the success rate comes from people being around other good people. Talk about that a little bit in the sense of, so craft masters, if you go even back to the middle ages are notorious for hiding their secrets. And you said that at one point it was competitive, hiding secrets, one-upmanship. How did that change? Were there some credible uh, leaders in the trade who became more generous with giving that away? Or how did, how did it change that tone? Well, because some men in the eighties realized how stupid it was. And I, 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 if that's blunt, I apologize, but it, it, it is just really so stupid to learn something and not share it. And that's really what's happened in, in the farrier businesses. We, we've realized the number one thing that guys and girls have realized is that the other person that does this kind of work is not your enemy and they're not your competition. They're in the same trench that you're in. They're battling the same battles that you're battling. Their their mental health is a, is dealing with the same stuff that you're dealing with. So why have that arrogant, secretive, not telling you what I do, I'm not telling you what I charge? And as they began to get over that, is built a community of guys. I, the list of men and women that I can call for advice, anywhere from building shoes to um, – like the issue this morning, I, I called and sought some counsel on that. I mean, the list is a mile long of people that would pick up the phone when they saw me call and, and, and answer my question or even deeper than that, get in their truck and stop what they're doing and come help me. You know, it's, it's like that. It's, I can't really emphasize enough the, the closeness in the business now. Whereas before we acted like it was, 
you know, I'm the greatest and I'm the best that's ever walked. And it, it really just stemmed from some guys saying, you know what, we're tired of this and we want to help each other and building relationships and rooting for one another and cheering each other on is where it started changing. That changed the culture over time. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll talk about this. So if you're outside the tribe of farriers, which almost everybody listening to this is, there's an American Farrier Association, which you're a part of. And that's a that's a community. It's a community of practice. But also there's some pushback. Talk, you gotta tell that story about that guy who called you to task and that power, that power quote of invest back or quit coming around. Oh that yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Tell that story. So uh one of my my friend Glenn that I spoke of earlier, his son Sawyer is 26 years old and he is a he's a very strong competitor he is that guy that wants to he's told me before he hates to sleep he said i feel like i'm wasting time so i've been in the process of passing my certifications i passed my basic certification in 2022 um, which is a written exam and a practical which is actually shoeing a horse and then a, a shoe board, which is different modifications that you do to horseshoes for different reasons. Basically, a skill set showing that you can do it. And uh, that involves some spending some extra time while you're not at work in the shop with other men so that they can you know help you get these things accomplished. And uh, I'd been spending that time in the shop, and then things would call me away. You know, I've got a, a pretty heavy ministry responsibility where I'm at. I've, I've got four children. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, it's been a struggle to balance that, especially when you have guys like Sawyer that are so passionate about it, you know, they're going to spend the time. He'll get up at three o'clock in the morning and go to the shop and practice. I was in a season where I'd been practicing. Then I had to quit for a little while. It was about a month and a half. I was out of the shop and, uh, I'd met some other guys. Sawyer's on the American Farriers team. He's the alternate this year. And, uh, that year he was on the team. It was him and another man named Daniel Jones. And Daniel is just that guy that's going to say it. He just doesn't care. And, you know, the biggest difference in the farrier community and the Christian community is the adjectives. These mm -hmm. fellas are handy with the adjectives if y'all are picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> so I had met Daniel at convention, and I would held Sawyer's horse in his live shoe and go um, at, at the American Farriers Convention. And uh, I ran into Daniel at another clinic. And I was like, Hey man, how are you doing? And he was kind of, he was kind of abrupt. Like he didn't really act like he wanted to talk to me. And I finally like pinned him down. He's like, listen, don't waste these guys time. Don't go over to Glenn and saw your shop and waste their time. If you're not going to be serious about what you're doing. He said, they got a lot going on. So if you're not going to get in there and practice regular, just quit going, leave them alone. And like, it made me mad because these guys, I mean, our relationship's a lot deeper than shoeing horses. I was like, whatever, dude, get away from me. And uh, I didn't even tell him that he did it for like a year. Um, I was at a clinic out in Amarillo. I didn't, I was really new to the blacksmithing community as a whole. Um, there's a thing called the World Championship Blacksmiths, and they have they have contests all over the country. And and it's, it's 100 to 200 men and women that are like, they breed this stuff. It's all they think about. If you cut the top of their head off, little anvils would fall out and hammers. And so... <laughs> I was, I was pretty mad at him for like yeah. throwing me on front street like that. But at the end of the day, it was, it was really a, if you're not going to take this serious, don't waste people's time. If you're not going to be serious about what you're trying to do, don't, don't be serious about it for a week. 
and then step out and go do whatever. And I, you know, immediately I got defensive. I wanted to be like, well, you don't know what I'm doing, dude. You don't know what I'm dealing with at home. You don't know about my business. You don't know about my ministry. And, and it was kind of, I would say the Lord speaking, saying he, it's not his problem for him to know your problems. He's, he's telling you right now what you need to do. And, and, you know, can you imagine what the church would look like if discipleship was that way? Like if you, if, if somebody was discipling you and you weren't following through and they were like, look, dude, get serious about it or leave me alone. I mean, it, it would be different. Everybody would be offended at first. Uh, I finally told my other buddies about that and they thought it was hilarious. You know, they kind of laughed about it and I was like, it's not funny sucker. I wanted to, wanted to fight him, you know? Yeah. And and that's the big thing, man, is, is that guy didn't know me, but he valued me enough to speak accountability into my life. Mm -hmm. And, And it was because of his passion for the trade. It didn't have anything to do with me, anything to do with those guys. It was that accountability of, do it or get out of the way mm. kind of thing. So, so was he helping you count the cost of craft mastery, like to get to where you need to be and to help serve the, the, the calling. You oh, absolutely. Out or and, and that's what that guy was speaking into me was that accountability of, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. You have got a calling on your life and you have to walk in it. So, you know, quit, quit making excuses. And you know what? The fact of the matter was, a lot of times I would come home and, yeah, we would maybe have dinner, but that last two hours before bed, I'd sit on my phone and look at Facebook. It's not like I was doing something with my time that was beneficial. It was just just existing, you know. So it was really – it was humbling and it was encouraging for him to, to think enough of me to chew my honey, if you will. And he was somebody you respected because he's the real deal and has a farrier? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, before he said that to me, he gave a, he gave a speech. He, he shared like a lecture and a lot of it was about his shortcomings. You know, he fought a huge battle with alcoholism and, um, was, was competing and shooing and the dude's been married like five times. And, you know, he didn't necessarily reference his faith. Um, but you know, the Lord delivered him from alcoholism and, and he's been married to the same lady now for several, I think 12 years. And, you know, he's a, he's a different guy and the trade and the people in it have helped him to be accountable and, and be who he's called to be. It, it all to me kind of comes back to a, a life transparency that you have to be willing to let other people see what you're doing and how you can do it better and to let them speak it into you without, you know, letting it hurt your feelings, if you will. Yeah. It's like, there's a respect for the work itself, for the, for the industry, for the craft of it. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. We want to thank you for your time, Bear. Thank you for joining us on the Holy Fools podcast. And you've given us a lot of really good, uh, really good things to think about. And and we, we appreciate your story. I could foresee a definite synergy between Bear and you, Jesse. Bear is forging it. You're juggling it. So I want to see some horseshoe elements yeah, well, incorporated into your show. Yeah. Right. He, he had this weird mixture of like <laughs> circular saw blades and pitchfork blades and all kinds of stuff he was throwing around the camp and I had to look away, man. I couldn't I, I couldn't watch for a minute. I had to look down. So yeah, we'll we'll have to figure out something that that we can get built that you can juggle. That would be amazing. I would really appreciate that. Yeah. On the next episode of Holy Fools, we will drill down into some learning concepts and research to consider how something like the craft of farrier work might inform our own faithful work every day. Until then, goodbye.
This episode of The Soul of Craftwork is brought to you by the Roaring Fork Fellows Program. Are you a 19 through 29 year old interested in starting well in your career with a strong faith and work foundation? The Roaring Fork Fellows Program is a nine month internship for young adults located between Aspen and Vail in the Roaring Fork Valley of Colorado. For more information, go to roaringforkfellows.com.